Welcome to the next HR Futures podcast brought to you by Circal, the people behind Working Futures. My name is Kevin Green and I'm chair of the Circal Advisory Board and I'm your host for today. Um, this podcast is supported by Kaplan, partnering with you to deliver your specific organisational development needs and enhance the performance of your people and organisation. Uh, with me today is Mira Magicha, the Chief People Officer of Just Eat. Uh, welcome. Thank you. I'm looking forward to today. Yeah, it, sh- it should be fun. should be fun. What I always do is start off by just asking us to tell us a bit about your organisation and, and your role there. So the size of the organisation, uh, what it does. I think many people will understand what Just Eat does, but I'm sure you can enlighten us a bit more about the organisation. Sure. So Just Eat is a global marketplace online food delivery business. We were founded back in 2001 and we've grown from a crew of about 15 people to a global business which has more than around or circa around 3,500, 3,600 people across 12 markets. Um, We're listed on the London Stock Exchange back in 2014. So that's when we IPO'd. Um, and the business is approximately <clears throat> about 800 technology employees across five different tech hubs in London, Bristol, Kiev, Saskatoon and Sydney, as well as tech. The company's built on multi-skilled teams across lots of other functions and key functions such as marketing, finance, customer service. Um, and we focus on connecting tens of thousands of restaurant partners with millions of customers across hundreds of different cuisines around the globe and again we'll talk about covid19 i'm sure that's been an opportunity and a challenge uh, for your business of course um but let's go back a bit to the beginning of your career so I, i'm always fascinated by how people ended up in hr you know there are very few people that at university or at a young age decided i'm going to be a an hr professional um just tell us about your your journey into hr how did how did it come about So I am probably one of those unusual people. So I remember sitting in the library while I was doing my A-levels and going, what am I going to do? And actually, I looked through what was a booklet at the time, because now you do it all via the internet, and I chose HR. So I went to university, and at the time, there were only two universities in the country that did HR, not without sharing my age. Um, But there were only two universities, and I chose to do a straight human resource management BA honours degree. So yeah, I'm one of the very few people I know that chose that and has ended up in that career. And and, and in terms of whatever it was in that booklet, what was it that you thought, oh, that's that's the thing for me. There must have been something that resonated within you immediately. I I think there was, and, and I try and sit there and pinpoint what it was, but it was I didn't want to go into numbers, so I didn't want to do accounting. I didn't want to do um, legal, but I wanted to be in the business side. And the only thing in that booklet that kind of resonated was the impact of people on a business. And I kind of thought it might be interesting. And 20 odd years on, it definitely has been interesting. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your career, because again, you sort of did a, a couple of HR jobs, then you ended up being an HR consultant uh, and you did that for quite a while uh, and then into Just Eat and obviously progressed from there. So tell us a little bit about your journey since you came out with your HR degree all keen and bushy-tailed and, and, and you know, just how's it? Because I'm really interested in the consulting thing. I'm a great believer in consulting being a fantastic learning opportunity and I look for that on CVs these days, but tell us a bit about your journey. So I joined a very traditional HR function when I left university. I did that for about two and a half years. And for me, that was probably the best grounding for a HR professional because it was traditional. It was very policy driven. It was very much what a transactional HR function back then would look like and you learning the importance of policy development etc and being very specific with a rule-based approach of how you do it yeah anyone who knows me will know that Mm -hmm. that sits terribly with me as a personality and partially why i only lasted two years in that role i then went off and worked for a diversity consultancy um, within the hr function so it was very much a standalone role and again 
it was great because I took this very structured approach of HR to a very dynamic small organization and tried to almost embed that which doesn't work and so learned to flex style and go okay this feels more like what I want to do going forward I then went and worked for a regulator um, in the UK and again that was really interesting but that's where I realized I was probably in the wrong job and probably have been in the wrong job for a long time or for so, the last six years. So, so what, so that, uh, that discovery, what was that? That was based on your skills or fit with organization? It was a mixture of both actually, because during that time, it was a regulator that came together by merging five previous regulators together. And so yeah. what that started meaning is, we needed to do some cultural shifting in how we operate. There were some big projects in terms of how do we recognize employee data? What do we do with that? And that's where my passion kind of started driving. And it wasn't in the business partnering world or what I thought was the business partnering world then of managing the absence cycle, managing the performance cycle, managing the reward cycle. It was actually the project side of people that I started really recognizing in myself and that's where I became really passionate and that's where my my real career I think really stemmed and that's when I was working with um, the consultancy that I then ended up joining and I loved what we did I loved the work that we were doing I loved the fact that it was really diverse it was really um, interesting it was impacting not just a small group of people i.e my client group but the entire organization and that's when I decided that it was time for me to go and do some HR people related employee transformation programs and that's where my consulting career kicked off basically and, and you, then, you, were the, you were with Capgemini for f over five years and, and, and I can see from your LinkedIn profile huge amounts of projects you know and potentially lots of international stuff as well you know Switzerland uh, Dubai um, a whole host of things Denmark so again, lots of different clients, different sectors, different geographical. So tell us a bit about that experience. So I'll tell you about my first week at Capgemini. <laughs> and so everybody has this kind of perception that consultants are a different breed and everybody must be super intellectual, must come from this way of just knowing everything about the problem that they're trying to solve for a client. My first week I went in, and it may have been the second week actually, I went to work for a client and I was pulling together an electrical engineer's competency model. And I literally went, what is an electrical engineer firstly? I know what a competency model was and literally I'm going, I don't know anything about this. I'm researching, I'm looking, I'm kind of understanding. I'm working with people that kind of make it look so simple that I'm just like, I, I genuinely have no idea what I'm doing here. And I remember going, I've just left a really good job that I was really good at to come and do this thing that I know absolutely nothing about. And that was probably my first experience of complete imposter syndrome and going, ah, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, that continues later on, probably for the rest of my career, but that was a very pivotal moment and and you learn to go through it you learn the cultural shift you learn what's the consulting guard as we kind of call it in the industry um and, and it became a fun part and and that was my very first experience of literally uh oh i've done something majorly wrong i'm not clever enough i'm not smart enough i don't know enough i'm not connected I, and all of a sudden you're just i i literally was worried about what I'd just done. Yeah, you I mean, you, you do. And I, and I think what's interesting is you learn lots about yourself. You learn about influence. You learn about uh, being, you know, self-management in control. You know, it, it's, it's much more about you driving the agenda rather than working within a corporate environment. So, 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 tell, so tell us about the biggest surprises during your time. You know, what is the thing that you discovered about yourself? What did I discover while I was a consultant? I, th I think the biggest thing was about being that expert and having that consulting guard on 24-7. It was exhausting. And I realised that actually I was very good at it because I can very quickly put myself into the situation of the client and kind of go, oh, I understand what 
your outcome you're driving mm. and I understand potentially how we get there but what I can't do is just go this is my toolkit of a yeah, box yeah, yeah. of stuff and I'm going to go this is how we do it actually I need to understand the nuances the cultural differences and that became really apparent the more I worked on international projects rather than the domestic UK clients and I, I remember being one of the really fortunate ones of initially when I joined probably for the first year and a half all of my projects were around the three stroke four week mark and so mm. I got a real interest in going into a company really quickly establishing myself being able to deliver what they wanted and really solve their concerns and issues um, whilst building relationships really quickly and for the first year and a half I was based in the UK it soon became that I did some really long-term projects with clients and the skills that you need for a long-term project are different to what you need for the for the three weeks come in fix leave yeah 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 and then there was a there was a bridge between you doing that and then uh, landing at Just Eat. So tell us about that. Did you go off and do your own thing? Did you decide you wanted to be an entrepreneur and do this for yourself? Or so it kind of happened. In all honesty, so this is where um, I didn't plan it. I I was leaving Capgemini, and the plan was to go and potentially join another consultancy and do something slightly different, get a different nuance. Um, and in between, at that point, I was going through life changes as well. So during that period, one of the things that I wanted to do was go and travel between leaving Capgemini and going to another job. And so the plan was to go and spend three months, four months, go travel. And a friend of mine or an ex-colleague of mine actually said, I've got this amazing project. I just need you to babysit it for a little while. Just, just give me six to nine weeks of your time and I was like you know you're eating into my travel time but okay I'll, I'll help you out she knew very well that once she got me into a program into the project there was no way on earth I didn't know this about myself but there was no way on earth I wasn't going to deliver it and so she got me sucked in she got me delivering it <laughs> I fell in love with what we were doing how we were doing it I then set up my own consultancy because obviously I needed to have a way of getting paid Mm. Um, and then that's basically, I landed a two year program, um, of work with a client I'd, I'd loved with an organization I loved and actually because of the role I was doing, it was completely end to end. So it was starting something from the very beginning, right the way through to service delivery, right the way through to lessons learned. How could we do this better in the following year? And it was the whole remit right the way mm. through from inception design creation delivery testing okay and then what attracted you to just eat so um i had worked with the previous cpo at just eat previously okay. and she kind of knew my background in terms of international people um and actually it was really funny because i was very honest with her right from the beginning and i said if you're looking for a people director I'm probably not that person because I haven't done a line HR role in the last 18, 15, however many years. Mm. And so if you're looking for someone who has that solid ER experience, et cetera, you're not looking for me. And actually what she said to me was, I'm looking for someone who can help me transform the org, help me really understand what the international view for Just Eat should look like. And so we agreed that we'd do it for six months um, far, almost five years on, I'm still here. <laughs> That's often the way. You find <laughs> yes. the right job, you just sort of stay. So tell us a bit about, you know, your experience. One of the things I'm interested in is HR in different organisations and different sectors. You know, what do you take out from your experience so far? What are the differences between HR in a, a regulator to HR in a technology business to HR in a professional services firm for for want of a better you know because again one of the things that we're taught at the beginning of our HR careers is HR is HR and I think it actually isn't that's the H point HR absolutely in my view isn't um but also I think in the 20 odd years the world of HR has fundamentally shifted and I know people talk about the personnel the admin days the personnel days go get a tissue and a cuddle and a cup of tea from the department <laughs> to 
actually it's a bit more HRE to it's now known as people functions, etc. So that journey, not only has that journey evolved of what the expectations of a people function is, the world of work has changed and, and it hasn't changed. And I can use the COVID example of today, yeah. but again, I remember joining Just Eat and we had just won a piece of work with the CIPD um, to work on a research project of what is the future of work, smart working. And we mm. did that piece of work 20 years on, minus where we are today as a result of COVID, I genuinely don't believe the world of work has changed, but organizations are different. People expect differences. The mm. world of people themselves want things to be different and therefore HR functions. I can't go into Just Eat or haven't been able to go into Just Eat and go, right, again, this is my playbook. This is what I'm going to implement. Every organization culturally has its own nuances. And yes, don't get me wrong, you have to get the payroll right, you have to get contracts out on time, the service has to be correct. So the fundamentals, yes, you must deliver, but the way in which you operate, the business partner model, um, the talent model, the diversity model, all of those things have to be appropriate for the business in which you're operating in. So um, you've mentioned COVID a couple of times. Tell us a bit about, I mean, for, for, for Just Eat, this must have been you know, a, quite a surreal moment. So just tell us how did you... How did you cope? How did you look for, look for the opportunity and the challenges and how have you responded? Because I think every organisation has been through a period of disruption over the last few weeks and I'm sure uh, Just Eat is no exception. No, we're definitely no exception. So we were first hit by a real big challenge in our Italian business um, because Italy was hit severely and it came from, from our point of view, it was the first... Um, kind of wave impacting Just Eat. And we had one of those moments of, if what's happening in Italy happens across the globe, we need to prepare for what we're gonna do. What, what does this really genuinely mean? And so we kind of took the approach of, let's plan for the worst and let's reassure our employees. And so we absolutely, with a small group of people set up a BCP team, which I'm sure lots of other organizations mm. did. And within two days, we kind of had a plan and approach, etc. So yes, we have BCP plans in place, but actually this was all about, this is going to be real and we don't know when we need to get moving on this. And, and we took some real tough decisions. So um, we moved our world party um, to February and there was this whole period where it was almost touch and go of, is it right that we bring 1500 people mm. together in one location it was in butlins in um, bogner but it and actually as a location that worked because it was a lot of outdoor space mm. it was quite vast and we were touch and go as to whether or not that was the right decision we ended up agreeing to continue because covid at the point that we were having the world party wasn't completely in in mm. around etc um but the Italian business took the decision at that point to not attend because of what was actually happening in that country. Mm. Um, and so very quickly post that, we made the right decision, but it could have also gone very much the other way where we could have mm. had some po tes positive tests of COVID because of the fact that we brought so many people together, we could have been self-isolating for 14 days. Um, and so we had lots and lots of discussions and it could have gone absolutely the other way. Um, when we took the decision and we were monitoring this on a daily basis, we had um, weekly, daily check-ins, et cetera, about is today the day that we send all our staff home? What do we do? We did some real tests of what do we need to do to ensure that we can operate from home? What does this mean for our customer care teams? Mm. What does it mean for our outsource centers? So we kind of looked at it really holistically. We then looked at it from a business model point of view. So what, how is this going to impact our restaurant partners? How's it going to impact our couriers? What does this mean to society as a whole? And we took some different work streams within our BCP to go, okay, let's take employees, let's take restaurant partners, let's take our couriers and kind of go, what are we going to do for these different um, yeah. stakeholder groups and how are we going to support them while we can? Unfortunately, we've did some great work with restaurant partners across the globe. We've done some real things with couriers if they tested positive. And for our employees, we created an entire hub of where do you find the latest information on coronavirus? We were super 
honest around the communications, we were open around it. And then we went into this whole lockdown and we chose to close the office a week before the official UK lockdown, mm. for example. Yeah. Um, and, and we were in a better place because we started with, well, what does this mean? We did weekly surveys, we understood, and, and we action planned as a result of what they were. We had, one of the things that I think is really innovative is we've got a water cooler. So like you would normally be able to just go and make a coffee, we've got a 24 yeah. seven water cooler hangout, which means that at any point throughout the day, if you just want to go and have a chat to somebody random um, within the organization, of course, and so not that random, um, you can just hop onto that hangout and have a conversation. We've got fitness classes, we've got meditation classes, all run by our own staff. Yeah. Um, we've got resilience um, coaches coming in and giving us weekly talks, but we continued to ensure that we're listening to our folk about what does it mean to work from home? What does that how does that impact your daily life? And so, again, a few mm. weeks ago, I, we launched this thing called Power Hour, which I got a lot of grief from on Twitter around, um, you've invented the lunch break. Actually, what our staff were telling us was they always felt that they needed to be on and have a presenteeism culture. Yeah, yeah. And so what we decided was actually, we're going to provide time where we don't expect anyone across the organization to be online so yes you could use it for lunch yes you could use it for going yeah. for a walk yes you could spend some time with the family but that's that's kind of the hour where we're not expecting you to have meetings and be on a zoom call etc tell me a bit about what's the learning what's the big thing the organization will take from this experience i mean it sounds like it was responsive it was agile moved quite quickly listened quite well so it sounds like a, a pretty comprehensive approach but there's always something that that you think actually that's something we really need to retain that will help the organization in terms of its resilience or its approach going forward i think what we hear from our staff it's what does the future of work look like and i know this is a really hot mm. topic but we do need to think about what do we want to be famous for coming out of this so yes i do think we've done a pretty good job in responding to COVID and what we've done for all of our different stakeholder groups. But what are the lessons we're going to learn coming out of mm. this? And how do we want ease people back into the workplace? Um, and what does that then look like? What have we learned about ourselves? And what do we want to keep? So I believe genuinely that people won't want to go back into the office five days a week and be working the way that they did. Mm. So we've been trying to launch smart working for a while. Actually, this has just fast tracked that. So one of the things we're going to be doing is going out to our people and saying, what is it that you want to retain? And, yeah. and again, we have to be mindful that this working from home doesn't work for everyone. So there are lots of people who kind of want the balance of being able to work in the office and being mm. out of the office. But there are also other people who are in isolated situations and again because of the demographics of our business we potentially have young people who live in studio flats etc um that that doesn't work for so we have to be mindful that one size won't won't fit everybody um and that for me is the most exciting challenge <laughs> for the world of work and for anyone in my profession who's kind of thinking about what does this look like coming for going forward Okay, thanks for that. Well, can we most probably come back to COVID perhaps in the second half and talk a bit about what does it mean for HR. So tell us a bit about your career then. So, you know, having done this for quite a number of years, what's the thing you're proudest of? What's the thing that you think actually I made a real difference or your function made a real difference? What's the thing that you, you most probably think so far that that's the thing I'm proudest of? That's the thing that you think that was a moment where I and my team shone and we made a real organisational impact? So I, it's a really difficult one because I actually keep coming back to, there's lots of little things that we've done, but I also come back to most of my career hasn't been in the people function. It's been in the transformation change yeah, yeah. operating model space. And I would hope, and having spoken to clients that as a result of some of those changes, yes, they've been tough changes. And for some organizations, they've had to go through some redundancies as a result. But from a business point of view, it's been positive. And again, for people that have had to be um, let go, we've done it with humility. Those conversations have happened in the best possible way. And people have understood why 
and have been really and, and have felt that that was a positive experience, even though it was done and it was a difficult moment. Um, my, I also describe myself as an alternative CPO, so I don't think about myself and be it a CPO or a HR professional. I don't think of myself as the traditional come and come and have a little chat with me. I've got a box of tissues. Of course, I can do that. And we have that. But it's the commercial commerciality of it. The fact that for, for me, a, a strong HR team is one that really understands the business, understands the roles within it, can relate to its business and can kind of go, OK, there's a people challenge here, but I can understand what we need to do from a commercial and can kind of balance yeah. both aspects of it. And so one of my proudest moments is one when we were negotiating an acquisition, it was the deal dynamics and it was really a fundamental shift for us because prior to that, there was no people involvement. And I just, I don't understand how that's possible. You're about to acquire a business yeah. that is made up of people. And unless you're acquiring it from just the technology point of view, how are we going to impact the people? What's that end result? And unless, you know, we're going to be callous about it, you need to have a people person involved in that deal right from the yeah. beginning. And it was the commercial viewpoint that I brought into the deal negotiation and almost everybody looked at me and went, but you're a people person. I'm like, <laughs> well, yes. And, and for me, it wasn't necessarily impacting a whole group of people. It was the fact that people started to understand a role of a alternative HR professional than, Hey, we need to worry about, I don't know, the color yeah, of yeah. the mug. Yeah, the policies and stuff. So it's actually about this is a, you know, we're acquiring a business, we're acquiring some capability, some talent, brand, which is all driven by people. And really, we need to be in that conversation. We need to understand what we're acquiring. Where is that capability? What do we need to retain? How does it fit with our culture? All of those questions, which are, if you look at the history of M&As, it's normally fouls when that bit isn't done effectively right at the beginning. So I think I can see why that was uh, significant. Let's flip it then. Let's go well, when, looking at your career when, you know, you've clearly done lots of things, things that perhaps didn't go as well, but you've learned from, you know, so not failures, but things that didn't quite go the way you wanted them to, but you took some great learning from it. Where do you start? Like, honestly, <laughs> the, the world of consulting, and I talk about my very first consulting experience of just going, oh my God. Um, but someone said something to me very recently, which... I've been playing with quite a lot which is no one has been through the journey that you have been through so yes there are people who have or are a cpo there are people who've been a hr director mm. transformationally but no one is having the same experience that you are today and anything that you do is your journey and yes you can make mistakes in that but you're not an imposter in your own life and that might be a bit deep, but the point is that no one else has been through that journey. Yes, they've done similar things, but not with the same cultural nuances, not with the same other external factors, not with what might be going on in your own personal life. All of those things impact yeah. what you're doing. And so I kind of have started reflecting on that conversation, which only happened a couple of weeks ago, to everything that I've learned from. And I don't think as a HR function we take enough risks or we kind of experiment enough so again i work for just eat we're a tech enabled business some of the stuff we do is user research customer research yeah. ux design etc from a people function why are we so scared of experimenting and failing and, and we can yeah. fail within a yeah. prescribed small element and we can do trials and we can test and we can be really honest about it but actually I genuinely believe you learn most when you fail, reflect, and then come back and go, why did yeah. this not work? And I've seen it a few times in, in, in not many HR functions, but that agile approach of, you know, we don't know best. Let's involve our people. Let's design, you know, I don't know, performance management. Let's design a new performance management. Well, let's just try some stuff. Let's get managers to do stuff. Yeah. Let's get their feedback. Let's get their employee feedback. And actually it won't work at the beginning, but by the time we've done it three or four times, we'll have, a solution that people own they understand and, and, and works and, and, and creates value you know and, it's and, about and how you do stuff isn't it and you're absolutely right it really frustrates me when 
HR functions go, I know best. Um, because I don't, I, I kind of have a view and I've done lots of reading on performance management toolkits, but actually what's going to work for this business, the managers ultimately have to be the ones performance managing or talent managing. I can't be doing it. And, and it comes back to employee experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have a challenge with that word or that phrase in itself. I personally do not own employee experience across my organization. Absolutely. The managers are the ones that have the daily interactions. And therefore, when a KPI is given to me that says you must own the employee engagement score or the employee experience, I'm like, how? I interact with, I don't know, 10 people a day, let's say. I don't interact mm. with 3,000 of them no. throughout the year. It no. just doesn't work. And so no. I have some real fundamental challenges with stuff like that. Yeah, and I think that, but I think it's a great opportunity, isn't it? I think the experience, language and view of organisations enables HR to recognise it's not just their bit, it's about what managers do, it's about leadership and culture. It's also about have they got the right IT equipment and do things work and can, you know, and all of those day-to-day -day things which, you know, aren't in our gift, but enable us to go back to the organisation and go, look, if you want to retain this talent, this is what they're saying to us and these are the things that we need to improve. And you're absolutely right. A lot of it is about frontline managers and, and leaders being able to have good conversations, inspire people, give feedback, listen, you know, and, and if we can get that bit right, then the experience improves and you just play, play it back time and time again. So thank you for that. That was really good. Let me move on just before we have a break to ask one more question of you really. And again, this is, I think this podcast has listened to lots of, um let's call them young and up and coming hr people that may aspire to do the job that i've done in the past and and you're currently doing and one of the questions i know that they're really interested is this thing about what should hr do and what should it not do and what i mean by that is how do you make decisions about what you prioritize and what you decide not to do from an HR perspective or a people perspective so when you're developing your business plan or you're part of the team that's leading that you're then thinking about, well, what should the people function be focusing on? What do, how do you go about, yeah, we need to focus on those three things and not worry about those three things for the moment. How do you make that trade-off? How do you prioritise? What do you use to do that? I think that is such a tough question because if someone's nailed it, please let me know what, what the method is. That would be amazing. Um, but ultimately, you have to link it to the business strategy. So ultimately, what is our vision? what is our KPIs across the business and then how do people enable it? So again, I'm a real advocate and a real fan for HR functions not being seen as a cost center because I don't believe we are a cost center. And if anyone sees us as a cost center, there is something fundamentally wrong with the way your HR function is operating or your people function is operating. And so it's a tough one because I believe in brilliant basics. So you have to get your fundamentals right. So again, yeah. you could be doing the best strategy work up here, but unless you're actually paying people on time, contracts are correct, all of that stuff, you lose the credibility and the validity because people actually care about your time to hire, where you're attracting your staff from, what your employer brand is. All of those things are fundamental. And I'm going to kind of, I'm going to kind of say that has to be done and that has to be given. When you mess that up once, you have to almost forget what you're doing up here in terms of your strategy and come back down to brilliant basics. So for me, that's kind of your call, the way that you interact with the business, all of that stuff. So that's kind of the given. And then you kind of have to look at the maturity of the business and where are we as a business journey? So I can talk about when I joined Justy and Justy is an agile tech enabled um, digital disruptor, unicorn in its days, has done an amazing journey but actually it's fast-paced it's changing it's evolving all of those great things so coming in and putting in processes procedures being really hierarchical all of those traditional things that a operating model could potentially say you need wouldn't have worked there's a journey and a cultural shift that you kind of need to take on and so then i go back to my toolkit which is do, do you do talent and succession plans? No, because we weren't ready as a business to do that. Yeah, yeah. What, what are the fundamentals of helping that business grow and understand the role of people? And I've been on the journey of 
people didn't understand the role of HR when I joined. Whereas now you become an enabler and you become a partnership and people come to you and go, hey, and, and you see that involvement. And so you look at where is the business? What do we need and how do we get there? And performance management's a really key one, which is five years on, we now have a performance system. Is it effective? Is it the best system in the world? No, it's time for it to evolve, which we will get to. Um, so but I, you yeah. kind of need to constantly evolve it. And you do, you do. Once, you, once you're done, it's not a tick box. You kind of need to go, okay, what's next? How do you evolve that? How do yeah, you make that better? And that's the same with our diversity and belonging programs. All of the stuff that we're learning needs to come and, and go full circle. So, it's never yeah. done. So I think the, the question is, is you, you have to get the basics right. You know, that's the ability to just have a good HR function. Laszlo Block always calls it the right to be able to engage in the interesting stuff. Exactly. You know, we don't get the right to do that if we can't pay people and, you know, you know, we can't get people to join and contracts are wrong and all that so yeah absolutely get that and then secondly i think the other thing that people perhaps early in their careers don't understand is hr or people management or whatever we want to call it is context specific it isn't about doing the same thing it's about understanding what's right for the business at that moment in time in terms of its journey its maturity and then working out what you need to do and in what order so you have some kind of critical path and then focusing on delivering those, you know, and working with the business. But then there's another iteration and you have to go around things and it needs to move and grow and develop. And, I, and again, I think it's also about listening, isn't it? It's about being in tune with the business and the leadership population so that you're in front of them sometimes. So you can see what's going to be coming in six exactly. months or a year's time so that you're working out what it would look like from a people perspective. Exactly. So, and, and, and that's what I mean about and I, I don't think I use the word listen but you have to be in tune with where the business is. Otherwise you'll implement something. And, and this is probably one of the things that in my um, Capgemini career was really obvious that clients failed at delivering something themselves because they weren't ready to kind of go, this isn't the right time for us to implement this. They read the new shiny tool book and recently 12 months yeah. ago two years ago the whole performance management needs to be more agile we should remove performance management so loads of organizations went out there and removed their performance management and then it came to the pay cycle and it's <laughs> like oh but i still need a performance rating because i now need to pay someone so then they invented spreadsheets to kind of make that happen and it's like that was the latest fad but how as a business are you ready do you have the skills the experience are your managers ready for that as well yeah. rather than just moving with it Absolutely. Okay, let's take a break. Thank you for that. I've enjoyed the first part of our conversation. So as everyone knows, we'll be back in a couple of minutes with the second part of our HR Futures podcast. See you in a moment. As the world comes to terms with the COVID-19 crisis, Circal want to help HR leaders look to the future. Will the crisis shift the world of work for good? What will this look like and how should HR leaders help prepare their business? These are the questions that Kevin Green and the resident Circle experts will consider as part of the Shifting World of Work content series. Visit circal.co.uk to find out how you can get free access to Circle's up-to-the-minute news, research and opinion for you and your team today. Welcome back to the second part of our HR Futures podcast. With me today is Mira Magicha, who's the Chief People Officer of Just Eat. The first part of the conversation I thought was fantastic. We talked about her career in consulting. We talked about Just Eat and how it's dealt with the COVID crisis. We also talked a lot about um, reflecting on your own personal style. And we'll come back to that as we talk about um, people entering the HR profession and their particular journeys. So, um, Tell me a little bit about what you think HR's greatest failing is. You know, where do you see consistently our profession? If it is a profession, and I believe it is, get it wrong. You know, the things that we should be doing that we aren't doing. Oh, my God, that's I, I could probably talk about this subject for an hour in itself. Well, give me um, the top two things. Give me the top two things front of mind. So I think we limit ourselves. So I don't think that as HR professionals, we are innovative enough. I don't think we take, and I said this earlier in terms of, I don't think we take enough risks. And that's about the world of work is blending in with our life. And so how do you work in a way, and, and, and again, COVID is a huge example of this, which is 
people's expectations coming out of COVID are going to be fundamentally different. This for me as a people profession is our opportunity to really genuinely shine. So there was an article recently in The Economist that talked about the recession and how the CFO was the most important part person to help us come out of that and how that all was really important. As a result of COVID, I think our profession is going to be fundamental in what does the world of work look like? And again, I don't mean working from home. I talk about smart working. What does that really genuinely look like? This is our opportunity to really be innovative, think about what the future of work looks like and actually remove the boundaries we have. So we hire techs, tech talent because we need them in London or we need them in Bristol. Actually, hasn't this COVID crisis proved that we don't need to limit limit ourselves to geographical boundaries? Doesn't the future of work mean that this whole socioeconomic divide, again, talking about the UK, North and South divide, why does that need to exist? Does that not just disappear? This whole concept of how we pay people. Do I genuinely need to know what your current salary is to determine what the, the... role it costs and should be paid does it matter that you live in scotland versus the uk or yorkshire versus Mm. london sorry um does that really matter so how do we grasp that what does hr need to do different i agree with you the opportunity is immense it's our moment to shine i think um i've seen some hr directors step into it and been brilliant you know they've actually really led the organization through the period and and also are capturing the learning and thinking about what comes next but i've seen others struggle hugely so i think we've got some that it's a great opportunity and others that perhaps may struggle um for people that perhaps are in the middle and unsure and thinking well what does she mean by take some risks or innovate just sort of you know amplify perhaps what you think hr should be doing so, so let's take that real example of I'm, I'm recruiting an engineer. Um, do I need that person based in an office? And do they need to be in the office 24-7? And I don't mean literally 24-7, I mean during the week. Do they need to be linked to their team? Don't get me wrong, I think we do need to have connectivity with our colleagues and that does need to be face-to-face moving forward. But actually, does the world of work look different? Does that mean that our office space becomes more innovative in terms of more collaboration spaces rather than back-to-back desks? And so that's a real practical example. But also, Tel Aviv, I'm going to make up a really random example. That's where a lot (laughs) of tech talent sits. So actually do we figure out how we hire super duper tech talent from Tel Aviv um, that can be based in Tel Aviv because all we need them to do is travel to the offices once a quarter. But that's the original kind of thinking, taking risks. What does that look like? What does a genuine dispersed team look like? And again, working in the consulting world, we were a dispersed team. We we were everywhere with different clients working on different projects. But one thing that we still had was connectivity to the brand and the organization we worked for. And that's because we, as individuals, ensured we had that connectivity because that's where we got our skills from. That's where we got our learning from. And so actually, how do you really genuinely do that within an organization? Yeah. And so that's just one real example of how we could take a risk and it could fail. It won't, And again, it won't be right for every organization. The other thing I would say is, Yes, it's the time for our people profession to shine, but it's also the time to help educate what the people profession is about. Because I think there are lots and lots of CEOs and leadership teams that don't genuinely understand the value of what the people function does. And this is our opportunity to kind of help the education piece and continue that education piece of what do we add value and why do you need us? We're not just paper pushers. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I couldn't agree more. And I suppose the question is, um, I think there is an education process going on, but I think it's this moment, and I really mean weeks and months, where the HR function or the people function have the opportunity to earn from what's just gone on with COVID and to come back and go to the business. There's a different way in which we can organise ourselves. We can retain our culture, but do it differently. We can hire talent and not have everybody sat in buildings together. And, and, you know, and we can still retain an identity and a way of doing business. So I think there's that moment where they're yeah. going to be looking for solutions 
and I think we've got weeks, perhaps a, I don't know, perhaps a couple of months to come back with with those solutions. Do you agree? And is that the thing that you think HR people should be really focusing on? I think it's one of the the most exciting things that we could be doing now. And again, it shouldn't we shouldn't lose sight of our day to day of how no. do we reward, how do we performance manage, all of that stuff. So this for me is a new add on to who are we as a business and again I, th I think about this in terms of our employer brand and how we have an EVP and how we bring people on in and some businesses will do this really well and we will be reviewed in the eyes of potential candidates in what is our approach and so if we put on our website we expect you in the office and I'm sure most yeah. people wouldn't do this but we expect you in the office Monday to Friday nine to five and there's limited flexibility there are going to be more and more organizations as a result of covid who are going to be flexing how they operate and what their expectations yeah. are so i think if we don't move with the times we will lose talent as a consequence of not moving forward i think this is a really good point and i and i've been thinking about it and i think one of the challenges for hr is that we may overpromise and underdeliver so that we say to the marketplace, to that tech talent in Tel Aviv, come and work for us. We're, we're different. You don't have to move. You, you know, we just need you to. And then and all of a sudden, expectation. yeah. And then also, we're six weeks in. You need to be here, and this is the meeting structure, and this is. And then yeah. people go, well, hang on a minute. That's not what you promised. So I think it's about making it real and authentic. And if we aren't going to say we're going to do stuff differently. We need to have an operating model that enables that to happen and leaders need to buy in you know it can't be just exactly. that this. exactly and and that's where i think the education piece starts which is why is this fundamentally important and some leadership teams will get this and some won't and i've started talking to various different hr folk and some are really struggling with it and some are like oh my god my team my leadership team get this and we're going to do this and this is going to be amazing i think the slight difference is I think we've got a longer period I think we have to have some principles in place over the next two months but I think it's going to be a slow burn to get to the optimal of where do we want to be yeah. because I don't think you can do that overnight so I think there's a view and, and one of the things we're doing at Just Eat is kind of going our easing of restrictions we want to be clear on what our principles are but actually yeah. to fully implement some of this stuff is going to be a longer term plan yeah. than yeah, being yeah. able to just switch it on tomorrow because i yeah, don't yeah. think the business is quite ready no. to do some of the stuff that we're kind of being innovative and thinking about so no. the example of tel aviv there's going to have to be some genuine conversations rather than the people team going hey let's do bound boundaryless recruitment i don't think that will work on day one that's probably i'd say about 12 months away once we've really genuinely checked that this is the new way of working yeah, totally agree. So um, a, a young HR person or someone that thinking about a career in HR comes to talk to you. Um, they're looking for some advice from someone that's been there and done it. And they're saying, should I should I go into HR? What's it all about? What's it really like? Um, what difference can you make? Is it a good career choice? All of those questions that you have early when you've got lots of energy and enthusiasm, but you've never really spent any time in in an organization or it might be someone that's perhaps you know done a graduate scheme and deciding whether it's hr or marketing or a sales or operations so just tell me about what you'd be saying to that them young people if they were asking you those nice open questions i'd kind of talk a bit about my own experience which is i joined hr probably from a naive point of view um in terms of it was about supporting people in an organization and don't get me wrong we do support people across the organization but it's also the commercial aspect and i think you have to have the balance of both if i think about myself i never thought after leaving the line hr role i would come back into being a line hr person mm -hmm. so this entire role of being at just eat i kind of never saw myself coming back in i kind of thought i'd i'd done that I didn't really enjoy lots of aspects of it. I enjoyed the project work, the transformation, but I think the world of work, as we've just talked about in terms of COVID, is constantly evolving. And so dependent on your personality, you need to also choose the organization that's appropriate for you. So I, again, I talk about Just Eat being a bit like Marmite. It's fast paced, it's chaotic. If I think about just 
the 12 months, hmm. five years I've been there, there's not been a year that hasn't gone without change or transformation or a change in leadership, etc. And so you need to choose an organization that is also appropriate to you, your personality, your likes, how you like to operate. And, and for some, the traditional HR function where you're working with 100,000 employees across the globe is the right kind of organization. For others, you like that whole flexibility, the agility, making it up on the fly, developing stuff, really getting stuck in, and also not having a job spec. And so I'd kind of talk to them about what is, what is it, the things you like, and what are the things you don't like? And then try and talk to them about no HR function is the same. No people yeah. function is the same. And no team is the same. Um, yeah. And therefore, it's really, really different. But you need to have a commercial aspect to it. This isn't just about tears and, and understanding. This isn't just an admin role. It's actually genuinely understanding the business and making some tough calls. So yeah. let's not talk about all the nice things we do. We also have some tough discussions and conversations and we we have to have some and support managers through some really difficult conversations yeah. so it's the balance of are you okay to do that and then there's also specialisms within the hr function so i that's yeah. kind of the generalist in terms of those type of things but are you really passionate about talent do you really love analytics do you love reward there's all sorts of different things that you could go into if you really love share plans, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. people kind of forget that part of the, the HR yeah, function yeah. and managing board relationships with the Remco. And so there's a whole different aspect of what it could be. And I think people kind of see HR functions as the tissue cup of tea, even today. And that's not how I reflect or see yeah. HR. I mean, my advice, I think, would always be uh, go in and experience HR in a few different organizations. Don't just do it in one because they're different. They're different types of organizations. See where you feel more comfortable. I think the second thing I would say is understand yourself, you know, understand who you are yep. and what you're good at. You know, I'm like you, I like change and transformation. I'm, I'm never going to be an HR person that goes in and does a nice steady state operating job. It's like, no. I'd break it because that's what I'm like, because I'd and, and I would just to... break it because I can. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, and that, so that's the second bit. And then the third bit I think is um, do a line job, manage people early in your life, your career, because one of the things you're going to do consistently throughout your career is, as a people professional is advise people how to do it and yes. you need to be competent at it yourself and it's hard you know the it's soft hard. stuff is the hard stuff and, and, and that's partly because and, and people talk about this as as and i i take i i joke about it but no one person is the same so yes again talking about my journey of no one's done my job in this particular moment with all the differences but also no one person has the same expectations of what it is like to be in a PIP conversation or a performance improvement conversation or what it's like to be a high performer or what drives them. Is it money? Mm -hmm. Is it the status? What is it? Everybody has different needs, different requirements. So one approach does not work for the other approach if it's exactly the same situation because people are different and they have different needs. Um, and, and the other thing, just to add on to your three, Kevin, <laughs> is to be, my, in my opinion, to be a great people person, you also need to understand the business. So take the opportunity yeah. to kind of go work in the marketing function, go understand what the finance teams do, go understand what the core of the business is, if that happens to be sales, whatever. Go spend some time and really understand the business. And the best time to do that is when you join the business because you've got the time and you're not in the day-to-day. -day. So take those first few yeah. weeks to really understand who you are supporting. It's not just reading the people policy on mat leave or paternity leave, et cetera. Genuinely understand the people in the business and what their challenges are. Try and really reflect your advice, guidance, based on trying to be in their shoes. Empathy, and I don't mean empathy from a real soft skill point of view, but trying to stand in the shoes of the clients yeah, yeah. that you're supporting is really, really important in a people function. So there's lots of great things, but again, like any profession, it's not going to be right for everyone. And so the whole soul searching and understanding you and what you love is really, really important. Cool. Let's talk, let's start to sort of finish off with a little bit more about you. So just, you've been at Just Think five years. What's, what's next for you? I don't mean 
you're imminently leaving or going anywhere. But again, you know, where, where do you think, where do you see yourself in five years time? What comes next for you? Ideally retirement, no, <laughs> um, that, that would be awesome. Being able to finally go and do my travels. No, I think I love what I do. I'm super passionate about the work that we do, um, how we operate, the impact it makes on the organization as a whole, because ultimately some of the policy changes, some of the things that we do on a global stance, so changing our family leave policies, the amount of emails I got when we did that was so lovely to see that it's really impacting people's lives and, and, and the start of their family life is, is really nice to see. So it's just such a great profession, but, but at the same time, it's really tough. There are times when I don't want to be doing the job I'm doing because I'm about to make the toughest call and some of the difficult conversations I'm about to have but actually it's coaching, it's, it's managing, and I love that. So I can't see myself leaving um, the profession in, in itself. I kind of think that weirdly when I was 18, I made the decision and I, I clearly made the right decision yeah, yeah. Um, and I love it. And so it's more of the same. I would like to see myself do some more coaching, some more mentoring. Um, and so it's, it's, it's now time, I think, to give back and to your point of, the youngsters coming into the industry for me, that's where I've got to start flipping it and, and helping people through their own growth and personal journeys of what does it look like? And that doesn't necessarily need to be in a people profession. It can be across different organizations. And that's where I think some of the work that I'm doing with my advisory roles and my NED roles really come to fr fruition yeah. because I carry on doing some of that. I think that's great. I mean, I think it's one of the things that, you know, doing those sort of roles outside of the core job just gives you the opportunity to give a bit back, to work in different environments, to to do things that you're passionate and bring some experience to young, young businesses that are trying to do Absolutely. something interesting. So let me finish. This is my favourite question. Uh, and the question I get lots of feedback. So we're talking, we're not going to talk about work now. We're going oh. to talk about you, the woman. What do you do outside of work? Sounds like you're passionate. I'm sure that you work very hard. It, these are big, tough, exhausting jobs, particularly as you go through a crisis. But what is it? What are your passions outside of work? Is it family, sport, literature, theatre? I don't know, music. There's always so, something. So I'm, I'm one of these oddballs that doesn't have a single passion so I love doing different things, um, cooking, traveling, wine. But my challenge that I'm, I'm giving myself during the COVID crisis is what's that thing for 2020 I'm going to focus on and concentrate on? Because actually what I find is I'm superficially good at lots of different things and do lots of things, but I don't have a depth in any one thing. And I think that's actually a personality type because the minute I get into something, I'm like, okay, I know it, I'm done, I'm bored. Um, and I need to move on to the next exciting thing. And, and actually, if I think about my profession, that's exactly what I love. I love doing the whole project, kicking off, change, transformation. And actually, I just do lots of things. So love traveling, love drinking red wine, possibly too much. Um, love spending time with the little people in, in the family, because actually mm. they change and grow up so quickly. Um, that's awesome. Spending time outdoors. And, and that's been one of the really amazing things yeah. as part of COVID because the sun's been shining. So I've spent yeah. lots of time outdoors in the garden, going for walks. I've rediscovered walking, um, been doing seven mile walks, which is amazing. I don't know when the last time I did that. And actually I just want to find myself again and kind of go, what's important to me. And so this almost feels like a reset moment. I'm also desperately trying to write a book. Oh, I was going to say, I was absolutely on the tip of my tongue. I, you know, one of the reasons why I left full-time employment and do what I do now is because I wanted to write, I wanted to tell a story, I wanted to go back, and it was very therapeutic, it was very cathartic. Uh, I enjoyed it, I'm going to do it, I'm doing it again, which is interesting. I thought I'd only do one, but I thought I'd go back and, and do a second one. I think you'd be great at it. I think it will give you the opportunity to go back, to think, to go quite deep, then to come up and think, how do I get this across? How do I come up with a narrative? How do I engage people with it? Then you can go deep. It's great. It's a it's a tough process. It really is a tough process. Yes, I, I, I literally amazing. just started. Um, and so it's interesting. I think there's two books on the horizon. One, which is The Personal Life. 
and then the second which is the work life and actually I think somehow they might entwine as I start actually yeah, yeah. getting there yeah 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 I mean again it depends how you're going to publish I mean that's one of the things I'd say is 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 work up your ideas and then speak to lots of people because yeah. I got lots of advice my book was like it would have been you know it would have been like war and peace it had like four different narratives it was just like honestly a bit said mm, you may think that's very interesting but lots of other people are going to go what is this yes <laughs> so you but anyhow I think you'll be absolutely excellent I definitely encourage you to do that thank you so thank you for spending the time it's been uh, the hours whizzed by I think there's been lots of things that you've said that I think will resonate, that people will enjoy. I suspect you'll get some feedback. People normally do uh, from people that listen to this. Um, and I think, uh, again, we'll encourage, and I'm sure you will, for people to listen to it. I think there's lots of insight. Amazing. So, it's been an absolute blast. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Kevin.